Oh, and with that, I guess we can go ahead and get started. So I'll introduce our, our president of the Anza Groundwater Association and the High Country Conservancy, Brian Bahari. Okay, thank you very much, Lena. Uh, first of all, I wanted to kind of start off here uh, with an introduction of who the ANZA Groundwater Association, or we refer to it as AGWA, affectionately, is, and what our mission is. We are not a special interest. We are composed of uh, residents and uh, members of this community. Everybody uh, on the uh, AGWA board lives in this community, and uh, our our objective is pursuing opportunities that expand and share knowledge relating to the quality and quantity of our area groundwater. And this is our second annual summit. Um, I'd like to introduce our members. Merle Johnson just went in the bathroom just now. A little shut there. Thank you, Merle. <laughs> Mr. Merle Johnson, Maris Danette, Phil Canaday. Mr. Ed Wall, Daniel Marlin, Joanna Crombie, Lena Moffla, Nicolette Yonkoff, and uh, these are this, this is our current AGWA board. We are soliciting members. We have a couple openings. If anybody is uh, interested in uh, in uh, giving your input, we meet once a month. I believe what first Wednesday of the month at the Little Red Schoolhouse. So uh, if you have an interest, uh, just show up there at 6:30 and. Uh, We'll, we'll talk to you about what we're about and um, move forward. Brian, we also have applications. Yeah, uh, Lena has applications over here at the Agua table at the, uh, at the giveaway yeah. booth there. So um, This is who we are. We have monthly meetings, and uh, the people I just introduced um, come from these various backgrounds here. They're either resident or represent agriculture, utilities, tribal, clubs, and organizations. The agenda for today is uh, I'm going to do a brief uh, presentation about groundwater basics, sort of a groundwater 101. Uh, Kevin Short will give a talk about water levels and energy efficiency. Joanna Crombie will talk about the uh, current, uh, the, the recently passed uh, Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, which is, what's the number of that, uh, AB? Oh, anyway. It's, it's several. It's 17. The Sustainable Groundwater Act of 2014, if anybody wants to Google that later on. so. And then uh, Maris Danette will talk about on-site water resources. And then uh, Nicolette Junkoff will talk about uh, results of our community surveys that we've been doing over the last several years. Starting with groundwater basics, um, I'm sure everybody's seen a uh, some sort of representation of of where our groundwater comes from. Um, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here, but it does not come from an underground river from the Sierra Nevada mountains. Um, I've heard that several times. Every drop of water that we pump out of the ground comes uh, from our valley. And this is sort of a cross section of the uh, groundwater table, um, generalized flow. As uh, many people might know, we had uh, USGS do a uh, a study uh, last year and they presented the results at the first water summit and um, what they what they realize here is that we have a really unique system here in Anza in that 
the areas that don't normally uh, produce water, i.e. the kind of sand and gravel areas, uh, the, the base, the, the crystalline rock produces good water out here because it, we're in a very seismically active area and it's been shattered so much that where it would normally not produce good amounts of water, we, we benefit from that here. So here we have a generalized flow. You can see uh, the well in the center there. We have what's called a, a cone of depression or we have a dip in the water table as we pump that water out. The, the, the influence of that well is to propagate the water drop out in a radius from the well. And when you get a series of wells like this in one area, you get what's called a regional depression, which is where we get our groundwater uh, drops from. This is a aerial view of the different sub-basins as defined by USGS. Um, Generally, uh, the groundwater tends to flow uh, mirror the, the surface water flow sort of from the east to the west, the outflow of the, of the uh, basin being uh, down here sort of by the bridge at Highway 371. And we have uh, different sub-basins. We have the uh, Burnt Valley sub-basin, the, the Terwilliger sub-basin. We have the, the Anza base sub-basin, upper Kauia and lower Kauia basins. This is kind of the one that uh, we're, we're uh, focusing in on here. This produces a, a, the, the predominance of our groundwater and is actually classified as a, uh, what, Joanna, moderately impacted basin? Medium. Medium impact by the Department of Water Resources. And she'll go into that with uh, the sustainable groundwater stuff. This is just kind of a, an aerial overview from Google Earth, and, and uh, I just kind of throw this slide in to, to show that basically we're living in a giant bowl. And all our groundwater kind of comes from every drop that either once fell or flows currently uh, as precipitation, snow, or rain into this bowl. And uh, for those of you who were here last year for the USGS presentation, they they ran a, a really intricate groundwater model to show the different effects of, of uh, precipitation on, on groundwater. And basically what it kind of boiled down to is when it doesn't rain, the, the cup drains. And when it rains, it fills up. So we've had five years of drought. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have probably been impacted by this, whether you know it or not. Your groundwater levels uh, in a, a, across the valley are dropping. I believe uh, USGS uh, averaged at about uh, three quarters of a foot per year is uh, average over the entire valley. Of course, different areas are dropping uh, faster than others. So this is just to represent uh, what we have here in that uh, the idea is to capture the water before it, it drains out of the basin to get it into the groundwater, get it to percolate, get it to recharge our groundwater basin. Uh, just very straightforward, and uh, with that, I'll transition into the uh, the next presentation by Kevin Short. Thanks, All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. How's everyone? Great. Good. Good. Appreciate you coming out. And thank you uh, to the Anza Groundwater Association for having us out. Um, I want to 
make something really clear. Uh, I am not from Anza Water and Power. Okay, there is no such entity that exists in spite of what uh, Mr. Bahari would like to say. But uh, uh, Anza Electric's here, uh, been serving this valley now for 65 years uh, with safe, affordable, and reliable electricity. And uh, we're, we're really interested in in working with everyone on uh, on efficiency and cost controls for getting uh, getting water. So, uh, with that being said, um, most of us here uh, rely on electricity to pump water out of a well. Um, there are some people that actually still use these cranks, but uh, does anybody actually pull water up out of the ground by hand? Anybody lucky enough to have an artesian? I know Robin's got a little bit of an artesian once in a while, but frankly, we need electricity to get that water out of the ground. So. Um, what's really interesting is the, the nexus of electricity and water in the state of California is, is very, very intricate, very involved. It takes 19 or 20 percent of all of the electricity uh, in the state is, is used uh, to deal with water somehow, pumping it, treating it, uh, disposing of it. And um, a lot of natural gas is used as well. And uh, we talk about efficiency in the, uh, in the energy world quite a bit. And this is critical because uh, you're getting more bang for your buck uh, the more efficient you are. So from a, from a homeowner, a well owner uh, standpoint, that's very critical. You can spend a lot of money pumping water out of the ground that you don't need to. So there's, there's ways to, uh, we don't have any well guys here, I don't think, do we? Any, any well contractors? They're the best source for this, but sorry you're stuck with me. So. I, I got to tell this story. This this happened quite some time back. Um, um, first of all, I'm an electrician. I'm not a plumber. I have a lot of respect for for plumbers because every time I try to do it, it, it it's a disaster. Um, typically, my my mo is I need to buy everything for the for the plumbing job at least three times. The first time I'm going to buy the wrong stuff. The second time I'm going to break it. And if I'm lucky, the third time won't leak. So it, it happens. But. Uh, a few months back, um, uh, our, our kitchen faucet started dripping, and I'm sure you've all experienced that at least one time or another. Um, so, and it, it, unfortunately, my plan was, well, I know there's there's a lot of calcium in our water, I think, and so I know calcium makes that white stuff that you know forms on your on your your faucets. I'm thinking, hey, this will seal itself. It doesn't work that way, just for the record. Um, but anyway, I, I, I waited and I waited and I waited a long time and this leak just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Now, to prove how much smarter my wife is than I am, she put a pitcher underneath this, this drip and so she started catching the water. So we're watering houseplants with it and doing all sorts of great things. Um, what's interesting is it got to the point where it was dripping uh, at a, about 120 drips a minute. That's about that fast. So. I did some, some looking up on, online, internet's a great thing. Um, I found out that that wastes 11 gallons a day. So um, mathematically, uh, a little over 4,000 gallons a year I was wasting just because I'm, I'm lazy enough to not fix a faucet. So anyway, after that I fixed the faucet and, and now we don't, we don't have the pitcher in the sink. It's happy wife, happy life, I think is, can, can you guys relate, right? Annette, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Okay. All right. So pumping water out of the ground takes, takes energy. The deeper your well, the more water you want, the more energy you need. So on average, your mileage will vary. Uh, one horsepower well pump at our current electric rates uses about 15 cents an hour. 
Uh, this is not a lot until you start figuring out how much water you use during the course of a year. Most people, most average homeowners in our service territory can figure anywhere from $25 to about $50 a month worth of your power bill is, is probably coming from your well pump. So 200 feet deep, uh, one horsepower pump, again, depending on your well conditions and so on, three to 15 gallons per minute. That's, that's what this little chart tells you. Um, there's somewhere in these, uh, these little dots over here, that's the, uh, the highest efficiency spot. Um, good thing to uh, do is get your wells checked. Have a, have a pump guy come out, have a pump contractor come out, test your flow, test to make sure uh, you don't have any internal leaks. That's one of the most common problems we see when we're called out to a, uh, I think the uh, computer just went to sleep here, Brian. Dull presentation, I admit. I, I can even put a computer to sleep. <laughs> anyway, one of, the, one of the most common things that we find when we do an energy audit on, on members' homes is that there's an issue with the, uh, uh, with the well pump. Either the, the drop pipe, which is the pipe that connects the, the submersible pump uh, to the, the outside world, has got a leak in it somewhere. So you're just constantly pumping water up that pipe and it falls back down into the well. Uh, there's a, a foot valve down at the bottom of the thing that's supposed to keep the water from draining back down the pipe every time the pump shuts off. Uh, that Sometimes those will leak. There's, there's a wide variety of issues uh, <clears throat> with the, uh, try that language right over there. That's a good one. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, I'll, I'll keep talking if you guys like. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it's from, from a percentage standpoint um, of your bill, uh, your, your well pump is, is typically a small percentage of it unless you're pump, uh, pumping an inordinate amount of water. But, uh, generally speaking, about uh, 15 to 25 percent of a bill uh, is attributable to, to pumping water. This is too bad. I have the really good stuff coming up. Okay, we're going to take a five-minute raffle technical difficulties break here. Ladies and gentlemen, Elena Mothla. Yeah, we need a raffle right now. Okay, the first raffle we have, the door, first door prize we have comes from Don and Julie Roy from Alpacas um, of Anza Valley. And she also wanted to let me know that you're all invited next weekend to a free event at their Holiday Ranch Days on October 31st and November 1st. That's next that's next uh, Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 4. So there's some information about that on the giveaway table. And their first door prize is a something that comes from her boutique. It's so cute. It's a little alpaca and it's made with a little alpaca that comes from her little store and boutique. So get your raffle tickets out, folks. See if anybody, the winner is 71044. Must be present to win, 71044. Oh, oh yeah. Wait, who? Did Your you win? Your husband won. Did, did, you, did you win? Oh, you think you won? <laughs> Come on.
I'm wrong. <laughs> this is why we never went, that's my husband, this is why we never went anything over at Anzi Electric. Oh, I can't find the tickets. Are we still waiting? Okay, next. next. Oh, no, I see. Next. Oh. oh, do you have it? Relatives can't win okay. okay, so the next one is going to be 71021. We have a winner, yay! Come on up! Okay. Yeah, isn't that cute? Okay, so the next um, door prize comes from Rancho, California Water District. And uh, they were instrumental in bringing all the giveaways that we gave out at the front desk if you filled out a survey. And one of them is a deluxe water efficient hose nozzle and a water efficient shower head. So the next winner goes to... <laughs> Uh, seven one zero one nine. <gasps> Yay! All right. Okay. So, did you get it working? Okay. <laughs> the marvels of electricity. <laughs> you have to plug things in. <laughs> All right. Your answer. I, I, I understand that electrician rhymes with magician, so <laughs> sorry. All right. Uh, where will the where would we be without this kind of fun and frivolity? I just don't know. One of the, one of the interesting things about uh, water and electricity is we can go the other way around. You know, we, we get our water out of the ground utilizing electricity, but we can use water to make electricity. So this is, this is Hoover Dam, uh, Boulder Canyon project up in uh, the beautiful uh, state of Nevada there. And um, one, of the, one of the neat things about this project that I'm, I'm coming to appreciate is the fact that Anza Electric was just awarded uh, 1.5 megawatts worth of output from this thing for the next 50 years. So this is really cool. We're starting, we're starting to receive this uh, delivery in October of 2017 after we go through one of the longest bureaucratic contractual negotiations I've ever seen in my life. But uh, the great thing is, is we get, uh, this is going to represent about 8% of our uh, energy needs here in the valley, uh, carbon free at about three cents a kilowatt hour, our cost, which is about 50% lower than what we're getting right now. So uh, this is going to be a, a great thing for us for the foreseeable future. So this a uh, couple of interesting facts about this thing. Uh, Hoover Dam has a total turbine rating of uh, just about 3 million horsepower and generates a maximum of uh, 20 billion kilowatt hours uh, annually. Um, at full discharge, the spillways of the dam can uh, release 3.7 million gallons of water per second at a total energy of over 25 million horsepower. Um, now in California, two years ago, we got about 12% of our total energy, that's statewide, about 12% of our energy from hydropower, not just Hoover, but all of the, uh, the hydro projects all over the state. Uh, last year, due to the drought, that was cut in half. Replacement power uh, mostly came from natural gas turbines, um, so we're hoping that uh, as time goes on here, we're going to see a little bit more rainfall and uh, subsequent increase in hydro. 
this is a little graph of that. This is the latest uh, information that the Energy Information Administration has released. But you can see the, uh, um, the, the blue line there, which represents hydropower, down about 10% over the last 10 years in the state, where the uh, use of natural gas has gone up uh, a corresponding amount. And there's the uh, one more way of looking at it. Uh, this was a river forecast uh, for uh, the majority of the state rivers um, uh, as a percentage of mean, the, the exact middle of the, uh, the flow rates uh, in the last couple of years. All of those uh, red numbers are not good. Uh, most of those rivers are flowing anywhere from 6 to 10 percent of mean. That hasn't improved any in the last year, by the way. So anyway, um, our cooperative care, there's an S on the end of that, somewhere over there. Um, but anyway, um, I really want to thank you for your time. I want to offer up the services of ANS Electric. Uh, anytime you have a question about your energy needs, uh, if you feel your, your bill is inaccurate, if you just want help uh, in conserving, being more efficient, uh, please give us a call. All right, thank you very much. All right, thank you very much, Kevin. I wanted to make a quick announcement to just so everybody knows uh, this presentation is being recorded for our new radio station that I'm sure everybody's been hearing about, uh, K-O-Y-T, the Coyote, there he is. <laughs> so uh, if you could please turn your, make sure your cell phones are off so we don't have interruptions, and that would be great, so. Um, whoops. We apologize for that technical difficulty earlier. So uh, with that, we're going to uh, go right into the Sustainable Groundwater Act. And uh, please welcome Ms. Joanna Crombie. Thank you, Brian. I'm a lot shorter than you, but OK. Let's see if I can work this thing. OK. Uh-oh. I went backwards. I should know better than to use the button that doesn't look like it's ever been used. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna start off with a little question to get you thinking here. Um, who would you like to, or who do you think should manage water in the Anza Valley? Look, ponder those, the A would be you or a group and or a group of people who are uh, represent the local interests. Uh, B would be a local public agency with locally elected leadership. C would be a county of Riverside department, or, no laughing, that's not nice, um, or D, the state of California. Okay, so think about that, we're gonna take a vote. Okay, how many for D, the state of California? We won't tell who raised their hand for that one, okay. Um, what about C, the county of Riverside? Uh-oh. Uh, what about be a local public agency with locally elected leadership? And what about A? Okay, well, I figured that would be the best why I started with D. Unfortunately, the state of California really doesn't go for that so much. Okay, believe it or not. There's a new state law that mandates control of groundwater management in certain basins. Right now it's just certain ones, not every basin, by public agencies. They want a public agency to be doing it, okay? 
and that is called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. It's a series of laws that were passed in 2014 and 2015. And for sh uh, short is SGMA, but it's Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. Now the word sustainable is used by a lot of people in a lot of ways. In this act, it's used as sustainable as far as not pumping so much out of a basin that you deplete it over the long term. So that's what they're talking about. So it sounds sensible here, okay? So the intent of the act, and the intent isn't always the way it turns out, and that's why we're keeping an eye on it, um, is to encourage local control of groundwater management. And like I said before, it demands a public agency be the local controller. Um, but local control looks good from that point of view. Um, they go on to manage uh, basins with sustainable yield, that means not depleting the uh, basin over the long term, and without causing undesirable results. And we'll look at that in a minute. Um, it establishes a timeline for um, local groundwater management in basins of medium and high priority. Um, not the low, they have high priority, medium priority, low priority, and very low priority. So the t top two priorities, they want to have local agency management of the groundwater basins. And that was uh, determined by looking at um, depletion of basins, also looking at the population that was served by a, a basin. Lots of things went into prioritizing basins. Um, and in a case where a local or county agency does not want to manage the groundwater, in those basins, they want the Department of Water Resources to be doing it, the state. Okay, so this is just giving you what's going on. It's kind of under the ra radar because it looked, it was advertised as local control of groundwater management. But it basically became local public agency control. Okay, sustainable yield I already talked about. It's the use of the groundwater resource where it isn't depleted over time. So you could have maybe use a little more one year, but then it gets replenished by rain another year, and it kind of balances out. That would still be considered part of the long-term sustainable yield. Um, the undesirable uh, results that they were looking at in the bill, they didn't want there to be chronic lowering of groundwater levels, which we just talked about, and it's long-term. Reduction of groundwater storage, which means so you want to keep your, your groundwater basin intact so that you could keep storing water in there when it rains. Um, you don't want the water quality to go down, of course. Um, you don't want land subsidence. That's when land sinks, which it has in a lot of areas like the Central Valley, where, where it sinks when they're pumping out too much water. Or um, depletion of surface water, um, beneficial uses. Beneficial uses in the eyes of the state is everything from rafting through um, help with the delta smelt, the fish and the birds and bunnies. Okay. So they didn't want there to be adverse effects. And um, under this act, there's a groundwater sustainability agency they want to have in charge of certain basins. And that needs to be a public agency with a, uh, authority to manage water. Uh, we don't have one up here in ANSA. If you've noticed, we don't have a water company. Uh, how many of you are water companies all by yourself? I am, I have my own well. Okay, so two wells, but um, they, they're talking about a government agency, but we're all water managers here if we have that, or um, we ha we're part of a very small system, which is not a government agency. Um, and then each one of these um, agencies will have to come up with what they call a groundwater sustainability plan. 
something to sh show how they're going to reach their goals of having sustainable groundwater. So here are the timelines. So for the medium and high priority groundwater basins, they have to have established, um, you know, basically a year and a half, or a little more than a year and a half, agencies to manage those basins. Um, and then in basins that are critically overdrafted, and we'll talk about that in a minute, in other words, they're just, you know, being sucked dry all the time, um, there has to be a plan for management by 2020. And for the ones that are not overdrafted, but are high priority and medium priority, um, you have to have a plan by 2022. So it seems like a long way, but in the world of water, bureaucracies, agencies, that isn't very much time to get all those things in place. Okay, how does this impact, oh, I think I must have skipped something, let's see, yeah. How does this impact ANSA? Why do I care about this? Why should you care about it? Because the Cahuilla Valley Basin, which is most of the area we talked about, Cahuilla, the upper and lower Cahuilla, is a medium priority basin. So under the new law, there will have to be a groundwater sustainability agency either formed or have the county of Riverside take it, they're kind of the default, or the state water um, board. Um, the exemption is if the adjudication comes about by then, you know, the lawsuit that they're working on. We're not involved with that, but I mean, if it, if it comes about, they will by default be managing as, as part of that because the adjudicated basins aren't included. But you don't never know the timeline for any of those water rights things. I mean, because like down in Saboba area, that took decades and decades and decades, and I, I don't know if this is gonna be solved soon. So it is, if so if, the, if it's not adjudicated, there'll have to be another agency take responsibility for management, or perhaps in the meantime. So that's, you know, you have to think about that. Who do you want managing your water? Terwilliger Valley Basin is a, basically a very low priority basin. So nothing is required at this time. But the long-term goal of the state is to manage every basin in California, somehow through a public agency. Private nonprofits, private agencies are not qualified under these laws. Um, we aren't involved with the Borrego Valley Basin, but it's just to the south of us, south of Terwilliger. And Terwilliger Basin is in the same hydrologic um, unit. The water flows down that way. They're considered a, um, a critically overdrafted medium basin, so they have to start managing water. So the question for us is, since we're connected, will it impact us? Will their plan impact us? Will they be able to have the rights to do that? A lot of these things have not been sorted out. When the state passed the law, there were a lot of questions still they're sorting out. It's kind of like they didn't really read the bill until they passed it, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> anyway, um, so this is the, the summary of local impacts for you. The Cahuilla Valley Basin, if not adjudicated, will have to have another agency dealing with them, which would be a local agency formed, public agency, or the County of Riverside, a department in that, or the state of California. And who will control the basin? You have to think about that, we all have to think about that. Um, the Terwilliger Valley Basin, we don't know what's gonna happen because even though Terwilliger Valley Basin is very low priority, it's hooked up hydrologically to the southern neighbor, Borrego, and so when they implement a plan, it might affect Terwilliger. So, we don't have control over everything, though that would be nice. But what can we do about this? Uh, we can start by 
local. You know, everything, if you want to change the world, you, change, you start changing yourself and what you do. And then you help your neighbor do that. Um, if you want to make an impact on groundwater um, or water use, you have to start with yourself. Get knowledgeable. So learning as much as you can about water, which is why you guys are here, I'm sure, one of the things, um, is something you can do and keep up with the issues. Um, utilize the water resources you have wisely. And um, Mara's going to be talking about that next, about uh, using the water we have on our own property, because we're all basically management agencies. Even if you don't run your own well, you have control over how you use the water that comes into your house or you use on your land. Um, something very, very important um, is to write, call, email, uh, be polite. Your uh, elected officials, anybody and their staff with your concerns and ideas. Sometimes the people in Sacramento, believe it or not, don't have very good ideas or they don't know how they're going to work out. So they need input. So does our county. Our county is pretty responsive to certain things. As you know, we have a new supervisor, and he's very open to comments and communication. So wouldn't hurt to write to your local officials, contact them, ask them what you could do to contribute help. Um, sometimes, as you know, laws are passed without a lot of uh, technical information. Perhaps people up here running their own wells can provide that. Um, participate in stakeholder groups like, like ours or others um, and support local groups that are trying to keep an eye on this legislation and share what you learn with other people in the valley. So um, thank you very much. Yeah, I think we're going to be taking questions right afterwards. Isn't that right? We'll, we'll take a, we'll take a couple. A few okay. questions now and then after lunch we'll open it all. Yes, go ahead. One question is that you know what basin um, Can you repeat the question? The, the basin for Awanga. Yes. It's a, what priority is that? Well, it depends which part of Awanga, right? Most of it's in Kauia or not? I mean, uh, Brian is the hydrologist type. <laughs> I'm the regulator. <laughs> Let's see if we can back up all the way to okay. the... A graphic. Um, which part of uh, Awanga? You were down in this area, is this what you're talking about? Lake Riverside. Lake Riverside. Lake Riverside is actually in the lower Kauia. You're in this this area right here. So you're actually in the, the lower Kauia sub-basin. And if you're interested particularly in that, um, you can go to the uh, California Department of Water Resources site. I'll try and figure out what that is and write it on the board. And they have a whole list of the, all the basins. They have maps. So you can figure out if you're not from this particular area. but. Um, as far as the medium and high priority basins, the only two in this immediate area, um, well, the only, I, I guess are, I guess Kauia is really the only one right here. And then down in Borrego, that's a medium, so. Any other, a couple more questions? Yes, sir. You mentioned that uh, it involves a lot of political people. Were any of the local political people advised about this meeting and asked to come? And if so, who were, who was? Why not, if not? Uh, can you define local political people? Yeah. How about county supervisors? Yes, they were. Uh, yeah. the Everybody was invited, yes. yes. We, we, had had a call we invited the, uh, the county of Riverside to come. They brought some information they couldn't make it. And I think the water master was also invited. Yeah. 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 So yeah. We're both invited to the How about the political people, the supervisor? Well, well the their office was. The county of Riverside, we tried to open all the supervisors, uh, legislators. Yeah. 
And we've also given them material very interested in keeping up to date on this. So, you know, that's nice that they're very receptive. Unfortunately, their staff can't always make every meeting because they have a giant district, but they're very open to you communicating with them. So I suggest you do that. That would be probably a good idea if you want to. There's a new supervisor, so it's good to talk to him now because um, sometimes when they've been in office a long time, they aren't as receptive. So any more questions, a couple more, and then we'll go on. Okay, thank you very much. And Mara Stinnett is up with um, information about how you can manage water on your own property. Quick raffle. Oh, you want to do a raffle first? All right, get your tickets out for some more excitement. We're gonna raffle off a couple more prizes here. Yeah, first up we have, yeah, watch yourself in that corner. That would have been very, a lot of excitement. <laughs> We're gonna uh, raffle off a bird feeder. Oh, I'm sorry, hold on. There's more than just the bird feeder. Um, this is from True Value Hardware, it's their donation, and there's everybody, it's everybody's favorite place to shop here on the hill is True Value. And so Paula donated not just this bird feeder, but I didn't want to carry it up here. There's a 20 pound bag of bird seed. So, pull out your raffle tickets. You have to carry it out yourself. Oh, we've got, we've got another one. We have to wait. We have to wait. Oh, oh we got a lot in. We have to mix it, mix it in. <laughs> okay. Watch your step there. Okay, the ticket number is 71. Zero three one. We have a winner. Oh yay! Okay, awesome. Okay. There's this and there's that twenty pound bag. We can get one of the guys to carry it to your car. Yes. We have to carry it now. Okay. And the next is um, a gift from the owners and operators. Thank you, Brian. The owners and operators of um, Heritage Well Service, as a matter of fact, Eric Haley was part of the Anza Groundwater Association for about three years. And so he donated a Halloween um, door wreath. Um, so the next lucky winner of that door prize is 71014. 014, anybody? 014. Yay! Okay. Yay. Awesome. So our next presenter is one of a great person who has a lot of knowledge and she does a lot of, she's a, she's a leader that truly walks the walk. Um, she's really good with conservation tips and ideas and she's a dear friend of mine, Mara Snip-Bahari. Hi, how's everybody doing? So when I was deciding uh, what I would speak about today, um, I decided not to talk about efficiency so much because everybody hears about that all the time. Have a low flow toilet, turn the water off when you brush your teeth. These things are out there. It's on the news. And I think, uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the articles. Uh, Agua wrote a series of articles this summer talking about uh, various elements such as that just to try to get the word out. This is part of a great portion of what 
we want to do with the community is provide information. Since we're all water system operators, it's up to each of us to empower ourselves and each other to do what we can. So um, I wanted to focus on uh, other ways to capture and use water on our properties uh, that um, other than turning on the faucet. So um, by a show of hands, who here is currently doing anything with rainwater catchment? Okay. Who here is currently using uh, gray water? Okay, very good. So uh, I do not claim to be any uh, professional experienced person on any of these things. I've been gathering information, studying it. Um, rainwater harvesting uh, and gray water harvesting are on-site sources of water that don't uh, cost us anything except for whatever it costs to put them together. Um, it's free. It falls from the sky if it comes from rain. Um, rainwater is soft. It's naturally soft. It um, lacks calcium carbonate and mag magnesium, and it's distilled through the process of evaporation and the formation of clouds. Also, uh, the plants love it because of these reasons and because uh, it has uh, nutrients in it and microorganisms, and through lightning, uh, it has nitrates in it that fertilize our soil. So the plants actually prefer it over pumped water coming up out of the ground. Put my eyes on so I can see better. This is an image that shows the path of scarcity. Our cities are designed to send water away from all of our buildings and our homes down the gutter, out to the ocean, pollution carries with it, erosion is created. We have a lot of rain that falls, it falls off of our land and flows down to low spots and then we end up having to water our trees a couple days later. This is an image of Path of Abundance where we are considering uh, that every single property is a watershed and the highest point of your property is the beginning of your watershed. For many of us, it could be a hill behind us. For me, it's my house. And uh, planning uh, to capture the water and slow it down can put a lot more water onto your plants and cause you to have to use less well water. There are eight principles of water harvesting, and they begin with a thoughtful observation and beginning at the top of the watershed. On an individual basis, that's the highest point of your property, as I said. I'm not gonna go through all of the uh, uh, eight principles. I do, so that I can keep this really short and brief, just to introduce the concepts. I do have handouts if you want more information, and I highly suggest this book from Brad Lancaster if you're interested in rainwater catchment. It is filled with information, diagrams, illustrations, calculations. 
it shows all sorts of ways that you can capture water. One way that you can capture water is through roofs. Uh, rainwater on a roof is simple to calculate the runoff on a roof. Uh, and um, basically I did a calculation for a thousand square foot roof that receives uh, one inch of rain can collect 623 gallons of water. And it's important to make calculations as a good friend of mine bought a water tank recently and um, it filled up in one rain. And then he had to go back and buy a larger water tank. And uh, so it's, it's good to design a system and create uh, your system so that it works for your needs, for your roof surface. And uh, so then the other option is storing the rainwater in the soil. Uh, this actually is uh, much more affordable, economical, and the soil, especially if you create a living sponge, can absorb far more rain than you can ever store in big tanks. So the way that that is done is the first thing to think about is the water needs to be slowed down and then guided into uh, sunken basins so that it can be infiltrated. If those basins are uh, filled with organic matter such as compost and uh, mulch and bark and these sorts of things, they become living sponges. They can absorb far more water and quickly. We don't want the water to puddle for days because then we have mosquitoes. So the idea is, and this is a small scale, uh, our water districts off the hill, they are doing water spreading and water infiltration in a big way to increase the basins. We have control over land up here. And in a small way, on an individual basis, we can be benefiting ourselves, our own basin, and capture that water. If the plants don't use it, it soaks into the soil and eventually will end up down in our water table. This is an image of a recessed basin, just to give you an idea. Uh, this one has areas like at the top, it will, you, you can use your low water needs. You put your highest water needs that can get their feet wet down in the bottom. Trees, fruit trees, native plants, these are excellent um, types of plants that can go into these systems, most especially native plants. Uh, if you want to create systems like this and grow trees uh, and native plants and begin to beautify the landscape, um, it can be done with natives and you will find you probably don't need to water them in the drier months because they're capturing all that water and as it gets hot, it dehydrates or, or evaporates off of the top and the plants just reach their roots deeper and deeper to capture the water that's below the surface. So it causes the plants to fight to get to the water and then they become more resilient um, to, and sustainable to be able to uh, stay alive during droughts and dry seasons. So now I'd like to just touch on gray water. We all know about gray water. A lot of people use it. 
Um, uh, gray water uh, turns wastewater and its nutrients into useful resources. The benefits include the reduced use of fresh water and saving on energy costs. Uh, it reduces the flow through the septic system. It extends the life of your septic. Um, it contains nutrients that the plants can use. And uh, the topmost portion of the soil has the most capacity to filter. So our septic systems, they're beneath that layer. And uh, we're using gray water beneath a couple of inches of mulch. It's going to have the best capacity to be filtered through that soil and to have less of the wrong kinds of things going down into our water table. Um, it also enhances groundwater recharge. Sources of gray water include the washing machine, the tower, the shower, the tubs, and sinks. The kitchen sink, uh, according to California's code, is considered black water, as well as the toilet. Some states allow kitchen water, but the, the state law here does not. So it's been legal in California since 2010. Uh, there are some requirements. You can look up the code. I've also got a link to the code in my handout here. It's found in the plumbing code under Title 24, Part 5, Chapter 13, uh, 16A. And it requires that gray water be covered by two inches of rock mulch or soil to minimize contact to humans and animals. It cannot be sprayed or allowed to pond or run off. It cannot allow, be allowed to flow onto a neighbor's property. And as a re, uh, precaution, I recommend you don't do gray water near your well. We don't want to contaminate the wellhead. There are three types of systems that are listed in the code. The clothes washer system does not require a permit. Laundry to landscape, you can find diagrams and information all over the internet for how to put it together. And um, the simple system that dis discharges 250 gallons per day or less requires a permit. And a complex system over 250 gallons per day requires a permit. My understanding is that it is cutting into plumbing and modifying the plumbing that really is the reason why you're going to find that they want you to permit for these things. This is a, just a physical uh, display of taking a sink water, creating a diverter valve so that you have the ability to run it into the uh, septic system or run it out to a mulched basin. Um, it is recommended that uh, gray water and rainwater not be watered right up against your house. You should keep it about 10 feet away from your house, so there's no problem. My references page is gone. So I have references up here in the handouts. If you're interested in any of these or if you have any questions for me, again, I'm not an expert at this. I'm experimenting on my own property. I've begun by putting in a, a rainwater tank 
And what needs to happen before El Nino starts is I've got to get an overflow valve on my rainwater tank so that when it overflows, it doesn't uh, have a problem up against my house. Any of these systems that you create start very simple, start close to the home if you can. I've started to create a mulched basin, I have a driveway, the runoff goes off, and I always have a puddle. So if you find a puddle on your property and you want to experiment, that's probably a good uh, spot to start at. And uh, dig it out, see if you can get uh, the water to all drain in, into that spot, and have fun, see what happens. So one last question, by a show of hands, if we were to be able to put together a workshop for rainwater or gray water, who might be interested? Okay, I'm gonna put together a quick sign up sheet. I don't have a plan for this yet, but I like to capture your name, email, and phone number as you're leaving. And then if I'm able to get that going on, we'll contact you. So thank you very much. Are there any, just a couple of questions? Thank you. All right, thank you, Marilyn. It's very, very informative. How many people here are familiar with the, uh, the LA River system? Maybe we see it on TV, right? Every time it, it rains, you got about 10 or 20 homeless people get washed out into the ocean, right? A lot of people don't know that in the 50s and 60s, millions of dollars were spent to line the LA River and the philosophy back then was to get that rainwater out to the ocean as quickly as possible to prevent flooding. Now they are spending billions of dollars ripping that concrete out, returning it back to its natural state because of the benefits that it has to recharging the groundwater system. So just like Mara talked about, if you can create sort of uh, what we call sinuous or, or lazy pathways for the water as it drains, you know, we don't want our properties to become lakes, obviously, but you want it to kind of hang around for a little while so it has the benefit of being able to soak into the soil so the plants can benefit from it. Um, you know, I'm sure we all have had the experience of having an old dried sponge on our sink and we go to wet that thing and if you stick it under the full force of the faucet briefly while it's dry, what happens? The water just splashes off that. It doesn't really absorb. But if you kind of trickle the water on there, that, that sponge will absorb a tremendous amount of water. Same with the soil. It really will absorb a tremendous amount, and you'll find yourself having to do a lot less watering when it does become dry. So uh, with that, I'd like to introduce uh, Nicolette Yonkov uh, here to uh, give results of some of the past surveys that we've done and to uh, enlighten us about, uh, well, what what your concerns are, what feedback we've been getting from the community. So I, I present uh, Nicolette Yonkoff. So for the past couple of years, Agua designed a survey and has been distributing it out at its various outreach functions. So when we would go to an, the Community Earth Day or when we had our last water summit, uh, we would present this uh, this survey to try to gauge what the community's interest is. It was a pretty straightforward survey. It had four questions, a yes-no format. It was conducted on an anonymous level, so no personally identifying information was listed on it. Um, and we also allowed space for comments at the end. So if some of the top, some of the questions maybe didn't get to what you were interested in, you could 
list your thoughts and concerns. And as of May of this year, we had collected a little over 200, 200 surveys. So I consolidated, consolidated those. Um, and so we're going to go through the four questions. The first one asked, do you believe having or controlling your own well is an important? And as you can see from the graph, over 96% of those who responded said that yes, having a well was important. Control over their own well was important. The second question, do you have concerns about your water supply being safe to drink now and in the future? A little over 90% again said that yes, that was a concern. The third question asks, do you have concerns about water being available to you in the future? Again, we had about 92% say yes. And the last question said, are you interested to learn more and give your input on developing a groundwater management plan that serves our community? And we had about 76% say yes. So what, what I get from these questions is that having our own well and having local control over our water resources is important. And of the about 200 people that we surveyed, they, they agreed with that. So now I'm going to go into some of the, the themes from the written comments. I tried to break them up into different kind of categories, and we had about six. These comments uh, fell into issues relating to farming that touched upon issues of runoff, um, concerns about fertilizers getting into the water supply. There was also a distinction being made by folks regarding monitoring our water supply and, ask, and then versus managing those resources. And so what, what is the kind of tension between those two and what are our motives if we're trying to manage it versus just monitoring it? There was also some concerns relate to us regarding what might outside influences be. This kind of gets into maybe what Joanna was talking about with, um, with the state and the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. You know, what, uh, what kind of impacts might that, that law then have on the local community? Other themes included the actual water quality, how we go about testing our wells, how can we recycle these, our water? Another theme touched upon education and outreach. How can, we, how can the community become better aware of these concerns? Um, and also then, how can we do a water study, which is some of the work that Brian mentioned that the USGS had done last year. Um, and lastly then, there were some concerns regarding the water rights and then the lawsuit. So this is kind of a broad uh, or a high-level overview of some of the concerns that were articulated in these surveys. And what AGWA is doing is consolidating that information and trying to create somewhat of a strategic plan so that we can address these concerns and that we can um, develop a plan to get on, you know, to address things like um, outreach concerns. So hosting another summit or publishing articles in the newspaper. Um, help to kind of accomplish these goals. So it's important, and we found it to be really valuable when the community did write things that you know they felt were important. So then we can come back and we can, you know, try to address those issues. So moving forward, we've 
wanted to restructure our survey, and so those who took our survey today saw a little bit of a, of a change from what we had been asking in the past. The survey was still relatively straightforward and it asked five questions instead of four. I think we'll try to distribute the survey out at a couple more events and then I'll take those surveys in and process the results and then we'll hopefully we can publish that. I know we published our last survey results in the, the local newspaper. Um, and then based on the feedback we get, we're gonna just continue to adapt our processes and maybe bring in new speakers that the community wants to hear that can help us to um, you know, bring more education and knowledge about these issues. On that note, I would also like to extend an invitation to those who might be interested in offering their two cents and participating on our board. I know we're always interested in, in getting new opinions and having people from different perspectives and different uh, uh, areas of the community participate. So if that is something that you might be interested in, feel free to talk to any of the members and we can pass along an info sheet and try to you know, start a conversation about that. So if there are any comments or if anyone has any um, thing that they thought about during this presentation that they wanted to add, I know we have a couple of questions on the board which maybe we can talk about right now. Um, so we can kind of open it up for. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna open it up to questions. Um, lunch isn't gonna be ready for about another 20 minutes. So this is what we call Phil. <laughs> so so uh, we have a few questions here. So we can kind of turn it, uh, I'll get it in front here so everybody can see this. Um, number one question, how does the treaty of the, the TPP affect the water rights? TPP, uh, somebody educate me please, what is that? Trans-Pacific Partnership. Trans-Pacific Trans Partnership. Is that your question? No. Oh. <laughs> um, how does the treaty of the Trans-Pacific Partnership affect the water rights? I have no clue. I don't, I, can somebody help me? <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll log that question, so. <laughs> Next one we have, uh, will the California state government be taxing us for water or putting meters on our wells? Well, I guess this question probably kind of comes out of the Sustainable Groundwater Act that uh, has come down and it's kind of amazing how crisis like a five-year drought can produce all sorts of output like what has happened here and kind of move this up the, the ladder as far as a priority. Um, I don't think there's any plans whatsoever. That's not the goal of the Sustainable Groundwater Act. The, the goal of the Sustainable, Sustainable Groundwater Act, and Joanna, maybe you can speak a little more to this if you want to come up here, um, is really just to uh, reverse the trend that's happening in our basins of groundwater depletion. We're hearing up in the Central Valley, we have USGS studies uh, showing that groundwater uh, dropping uh, uh, 10, 20 feet in a month. Um, incredible groundwater withdrawals because these farmers, they need water. And I'm sure a lot of people here have noticed uh, the new cottage industry that's happening with water transportation for for various reasons which I won't go into, but we, we see these pickup trucks and these trailers 
driving back and forth around Anza with uh, loaded down with uh, with various types of water transporting equipment. My favorite one is a guy. I think he has about a thousand gallon tank on a trailer, and he's he's cut the top completely off this tank, and he fills up. And as he goes down the road, every time he turns a corner, about fifty or sixty gallons slosh out <laughs> onto, the, onto the corner. And, uh, and it's actually a benefit to me because I, I uh, a while ago on my truck, a rat chewed my uh, the hose to my uh, windshield wiper fluid. So I find that if I drive close enough to this guy as he's going down the road, it will coat my windshield. And I just turn my blades on and I get get my windshield clean for free. So it's, you got you got to look for these these benefits once in a while. So, uh, no, there there is no. There, there is no, um, Joanna, can you speak to this a little more about is, uh, is there any plan for the government to be taxing us? Well, we're already being taxed, obviously. There's and always a plan for them to tax us, maybe not in that way. But um, uh, there's no immediate plan for metering. I think my, the, the talk I was talking about was really basically who you want controlling your own water uh, because it's going to be controlled by somebody. But uh, uh, the metering, I, that's not practical. I don't see anything going from that right now. And the taxing, well, uh, you can't really say no to that, but it's probably not to do with the water. <laughs> yeah, so. Um we, we, we don't know what the future holds, obviously, as, the, as a crisis deepens, if uh, the, the, uh, the El Nino that they're all talking, everybody's been hearing about this uh, uh, Godzilla of an El Nino that's, that's out there right now. And uh, for those of you who are climate change doubters, I just want to throw out there that the most pow powerful hurricane ever recorded in the Western Hemisphere, possibly in the world, struck Mexico yesterday, so uh, formed in record time. So whether this is an outcome of the forming El Nino, it's uh, not really clear, but uh, definitely uh, patterns are changing out there. So um, we're hoping we get a, a really wet pattern, but one year isn't really gonna save us, right? We need to uh, have a, uh, uh, you know, if we have a lot of runoff, we have a lot of rain, and that water just runs off out of the basin, doesn't really get into our groundwater, doesn't really benefit us. So, um, rainwater catchment, this is a good year. <laughs> yeah, good water, a good year to, to make some uh, uh, impound areas in your yard and, and get that water into the ground. So, and it benefits you directly. Okay, your wells on the property, it's going to benefit you directly as well as your neighbors, but you more. So, but if everybody gets together, we can uh, definitely make a difference on it. But uh, getting back to that, we don't know what the future holds. That's, uh, you know, Agua, we, we are not politically involved. Gentleman asked earlier about inviting our, our uh, elected officials. Everyone's welcome to come give input, but we want to maintain control of our groundwater basin here. We don't want somebody off the hill down there in the county building telling us what we need to do, because we know what their solution usually is. It's usually to come in here and try to fix it after it's messed up. And it's, it's such backwards thinking. We want to, uh, you know, we really have this uh, pristine jewel here and we want to uh, just educate everybody to maintain it and not fix it after it gets broken, which requires a lot more resources and a lot more money. So uh, next question, how do I figure out how long my well will produce? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, if you're having issues with your well, your your uh, pump is going dry for periods. Uh, obviously, you have an immediate 
problem and it needs to be addressed. I highly recommend uh, soliciting the help from some of the uh, water well contractors who, um, you know, despite what you might think, they're not going to come out there and tell you there's a problem if you don't have one. It may, the, the solution may be simple, but they are there to help you um, get the water that you need for your requirements. Um, as far as areas that are having issues, I mean, uh, the USGS report didn't go into individual wells, but they did identify areas where groundwater is, is, is uh, uh, falling more rapidly than others. That report is available on our website. Um, we have some literature here. Please visit our, our Agua booth. Lena over here has uh, um, uh, links to our website where you can uh, download a copy of that USGS report. And it, there's uh, excellent graphics in there that clearly define which areas are following more than others and, and which areas of the basin are of more concern than others. So, number four, how long, how much rain do we need to bring us out of the drought? Now that's, man, if I could answer that one, I'd be up in Sacramento, I guess, somewhere making some laws. But uh, like I said, uh, everyone's saying that one year of this El Nino isn't gonna fix everything. We, um, we've had five years of official drought closer to 10 years of unofficial drought. We've had a couple of wet years in there and they really haven't benefited us. If, if you saw the graphic up there about the, the um, um, hydropower and how much water is in storage in the rivers that we're getting hydropower from, well, that's a direct reflection of how much rain we're getting and what's infiltrating into the ground. You know, if, it's, if it's not on the surface, then it can't infiltrate into the ground. And you saw that that trend was for water depletion over uh, 10, the last 10 or 12 years. The trend has been for much less storage in our reservoirs and in our rivers. So um, one year isn't gonna solve it. I, you know, I, offhand, I, you know, I would say we need at least three years of a wet pattern to really um, reverse what's already happening to where we don't even think about it anymore, right? But just because we get a wet pattern doesn't mean we shouldn't always be implementing some of the practices because we, we do have other issues up here such as water quality, which is something we really haven't touched on. But um, even though we might have plenty of water in our well, what kind of water is it producing? And that's where we're doing some screening back here. Merle is helping us do some nitrate testing. Uh, nitrate is usually a direct uh, uh, sign that you're having issues with uh, your uh, septic tank. That's where nitrates usually come from on, on a local, on your property sort of basis. They also happen regionally where you have heavy agriculture, where they're using fertilizers that get into the ground. So um, with that, do we have any other questions? Anybody on any of the subjects that have been talked about here? All right. We have a question back here. The main question I have in mind, and I keep hearing this, is how do we own or how do we have insecurity that that water is gone? That that water is what? The water we're getting out of that well, is that, 
is that any, is, what legal claim do you have to like a mineral claim? Well, um, I'll, I'll try to break this down to the most basic level of understanding that, I, that works for me. And basically, when it comes to groundwater, the, the law generally is whoever has the deeper straw wins, gets the water. There, there is no, unless your basin is adjudicated, as Joanna talked about, which means adjudication is just that. They say certain parties are allotted a certain amount of water from that basin. And this basin is not adjudicated. Um, so if your neighbor comes in and puts in a 1,500 foot deep well that produces 1,000 gallons a minute, uh, that's his water. Um, in reality, you, you, saw, you remember the cross-section I, I showed there where you can actually draw water in that's coming in from your neighbor's property um, unless they're using that water, it, it's, it, it belongs to you. It, for your use. Water is not owned in California, but you're allowed to use it for whatever beneficial reason you need, need to use it for. The other part of it is, uh, I know, see, we're, we're with the water fight thing here. The lawsuit, yeah. And, you know, the last thing that I heard they were going to, the reservation was going to do is export some of that water. And the federal courts said not in your lifetime. But see, that's another thing. What, what is to prevent somebody from opening the bottling company up here and decide to sell that water off his property? You know, um, the, the whole water bottling uh, issue has, has come up recently with the drought, and, it's, and um, a lot of people want to sort of point fingers at, at you know, who, who are the main perpetrators of using water in excess? Is it the people with the lush green lawns down there in Temecula and Riverside and Los Angeles and the lush landscapes, the, the water bottling. I think they did a, a study recently that showed that water bottling is a very, very small percentage of actual water use in California. But it, it, it's, it's still, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's something that's still of concern. To, to address your question, what's to stop somebody from putting a, a bottling plant up here? Um, nothing. There, there's nothing to stop it uh, other than I don't think they would want to do that because the main cost of bottled water is transportation and they prefer to have their bottling companies near major arteries of transportation, i.e. the Interstate 10 or railways and whatnot. And I don't think there's any plan to bring a freeway up to Anza anytime soon. So um, as far as the water lawsuit that you talked about, um, we don't know what the outcome of that is going to be. We don't know what, um, you know, we're, we're not privy, we're not part of that, but we don't know really what the negotiation tactics are of, of either the tribe or the other parties involved or what the, what the sticking points are. Certainly we're hearing rumors that maybe one of the sticking points to, this, to not it not being settled is a, uh, uh, the tribe wanting the ability to export water from the basin. Well, um, obviously, I, I think everybody in this room would, would have contention with that. So um, we just don't know what they are. It's, it's, it's in the courts, and we keep hearing rumors here and there. It's close to settlement, close to settlement. And I've been hearing that since I moved here eight years ago. So um, just uh, remains to be seen. We just don't know. All right. Any other questions? Do we have, uh, go ahead, Mr. Kennedy. 
Good morning, everyone. I just wanted to let, let you know I brought with me uh, about 30 copies of the 25 year study of the ground uh, static groundwater depth for Amda Mutual Water Company, which is located um, back behind Circle K here in the center of the valley. Um, so at any break, if any of you would like to have a copy of this, just please hunt me down and I'd be happy to give you this month by month well depth for the last 25 years. Okay, so Phil has a, I believe they call them hydrographs actually, monthly readings on their wells for Anza Mutual Water Company. So being that they're kind of centrally, lo centrally located in the basin, that might be interesting to look at that and see what the overall trends are for that area. And like I said, they, they vary from area to area. There is really no one well, I believe USGS has about uh, 60 or 80 monitoring wells that they monitor from time to time when they're doing work out here. And Agua, Agua is hoping to continue that monitoring on a biannual or uh, twice yearly basis to uh, just keep that data going. We have data going back to the 50s. And um, when we have these breaks in the data, it, it uh, kind of hurts our understanding of what's going on in the basin. So we're hoping to to uh, just uh, carry on some of the wa the water level depth monitoring that's going on. So, with that, um, any more questions? I'll turn it over. Lena, did you have something? Well, I just have a last of the door prizes. Okay, we're going to do the last of the door prizes, and then we're going to have. Oh, oh, oh! Wait a minute. After the door prizes, Merle will give some results, basic results. He's not going to name individuals, right, Merle? That's right. If you want your individual results while we're having lunch, I'll be back at the table and I'll give them to you there. Yeah. He'll, uh, go ahead and get your lunch and then mosey on back to Merle and he'll give you the results of what your nitrate levels are if you brought a sample in. And here we go. Okay. Is anybody hungry? Good food back there. Okay, so I am going to, uh, before I give the last of the three door prizes, I'm going to announce um, thank yous for certain people who were here today and we couldn't make this event happen without their help. Um, Adam and Micah Lynn, the brothers are back there helping in the kitchen. The kitchen helpers will be serving you food. Thank you. Merle Norman, Merle Norman. But that's why I do my face creams. Just don't call me like lunch. <laughs> um, Merle has um, a water system management company. He's here today, and he contributed $500 to be able to do a lot of what we've done here today. Merle's awesome. Anza Electric, Debbie and Kevin, thank you for your vendor booth. Thank you for the time that you put into the presentation. Hi, Adrian. Um, <laughs> and um, Annika and Gordon back here, they're with the High Country Conservancy, and they have a booth there, and they're also uh, carrying a 501C. They help us with the funding of some of these grants that we've been given to help all of us out in the community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. With that, the next store prize I have here is a basket, and it's just full of all kinds of goodies from scone mix and pancake mix and honey and and shortbread. yeah, shortbread, shortbread cookies. Yeah, cookies and uh, specialty coffees and teas and a couple of mugs. 
and this was provided by Robin Garrison from ERA Realty. Robin also got here early. She made the pasta salad. She's helping out in the kitchen. You know, every time I go to Robin, I never even get out of my mouth. Robin, can you please help with, I mean, it's always yes. She's never said no. Robin, thank you for all you do for this community. 